Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is, uh, is my good buddy, Alan Wells. Alan, what's going on, man? Not too much. Just uh, trying to trying to survive this lightning thing season. How's how's things going with you? <laughs> it's going well, man. Yeah, you are uh, your loser points on Twitter for for those that don't know, and you uh, you follow the lightning very closely. You're you're a fan of theirs. You write about them uh, on on SB Nation's website, Raw Charge, and you uh, you seem like the right man to bring on here to try to make sense of whatever the hell has happened to this team this season. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, uh, hopefully we can we can answer some questions. I think it's interesting. I've seen a lot of people kind of wondering what's going on with the team, so I think it'll be fun to take a take a deep dive. I've been watching them pretty closely, um, tracking games for the for the passing project and, and things like that. So I'm pretty pretty familiar with how the team uh, looks when things are going well, and uh, getting an idea this year about how things look when they're not going well. So we can uh, try to figure out what's what's driving that. Okay, well. So let's set the table a little bit for people that just might not be familiar. So I think that it's fair to say that the Lightning have been the most disappointing team this season. I mean, you can make an argument that maybe the Dallas Stars have as well, but I, I didn't ha- I didn't think that they had necessarily sort of the... Maybe they had a similar upside as the Lightning did, but definitely not as... They weren't as stable heading into the season, and you could kind of see what could go wrong with the Stars if it did. But whereas this Lightning team, I think that... I don't think I don't know a single person that didn't have them firmly in one in either the first or second seed in the Atlantic right there with the, with the Montreal Canadiens. I mean, they just didn't really give us any reason not to have them there coming into the season, as as far as I can tell. Yeah, I think um, I, I know national media was was really big on them coming into this year. Um, I mean, you know, Cup final two years ago, uh, Eastern Conference final last year. So I think everybody had had high expectations and I, I don't think it's it's far to say that they're the most disappointing team i mean they're they're last in the east in terms of uh points percentage and i don't think anybody really really predicted anything close to that for them so um takes a lot of things to go wrong to get from sort of where they were expected to be to where they are now um that's kind of one of the things i've been talking about all year is you know when things go this wrong you can't just point to one thing and, and say that's the issue so there's but there's been a ton of things uh, that have driven that so you know we can just we can just dive in and 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 see where it's where it's gone wrong. Well, the 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 thing I'm glad you mentioned the two teams in the previous in the previous seasons because 
you know, I was kind of scanning and trying to figure out and they basically brought back those entire teams. I mean, I think that out of all the players that were receiving regular minutes on, on either of those teams, the only one they didn't bring back was, was Matt Carl. And there's a, a strong argument to be made that he was probably one of like the worst player on their team. So it's like, it's just one of these things where generally with teams that are successful for a few years in the NHL with this hard cap system, when they fall off, it's because they've just been bleeding away so much talent that eventually they just kind of can't fill those gaps anymore and they're and they're a shell of what they used to be but you know the one thing is we will get into here is is the injuries which has certainly played a role and, and that's kind of sat, zapped their depth a little bit but i mean all of the sort of familiar faces are pretty much there it's like this this roster is intact from the one that was so successful the past two years which is what makes this just completely down, dumbfounding to me yeah and i think um i think that's that's right on point it's it's not a it's not necessarily a, a roster issue um matt carl was not just the worst player on the team but one of the worst defensemen in the league last year um i don't think that's that's really arguable he's he had a he had a great career and he put in a lot of work um he played a ton of games um but the, the cliff came fast for him um so that's that's definitely not you know uh the reason for the drop off this year i think one thing um, you brought up the injuries, and I think it, it's it's helpful to run through that real quick. Just I, I think sometimes people don't see the full scope of how bad the injuries have been this season. I think the other thing that's important um, from you know a contextual perspective is we're we're looking at t- at a team that's played over 200 games, you know, in the past couple mm-hmm. years, yep. and then had the most players in the World Cup, uh, and then is now playing a condensed schedule, and so. Uh, you know, I don't know how much of a factor fatigue has been, and I don't know how much of a factor that fatigue has been in the the in, you know just absurd amount of injuries that they've had as a team. But I think I think those things are are playing a role. And um, you know, everybody knows that Stamkos is hurt, and that's that's a huge injury for them. Um, you know, he's he he you know drives the scoring on that top line. He he drives the scoring on the power play. Um, so that's a huge that's a huge loss. I don't think anybody you know is underestimating that. You you did a good job on a couple uh, a couple podcasts ago pointing out how resurgent he was at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was playing probably his best hockey that he's played in three years, which uh, you know isn't too surprising if you switch from having uh, Ryan Callahan and Alex Klorin as your line mates to Nikita Kucherov and <laughs> either Jonathan Drouin or Vlad Nemestikov. You're yeah. probably gonna you're probably gonna produce a little bit better. So he was definitely benefiting, especially from playing with Kuch, who's such a, a creative player and uh, takes the pressure off Stamkos to create, lets him just get to his spots and do the things he likes to do, and let Kucherov be the one to handle the puck and get it in the zone and, and decide you know whether he's going to shoot or, or, or set up Stamkos for the pass. And Nemestikov is, is great at manipulating space. So that, that was a great line for them. So that that really hurt when he went down. But it hasn't just been him. You know, uh, Strawman missed a few weeks at the beginning of the year um, for a team. We'll, we'll get into to the defense at some point. But for a team that lacks uh, depth in that area as much as they do, missing him for three weeks was not, you know, was not a good thing and really put them in a tough spot. Uh, you know, Bishop being out for a while uh, at one point uh, really put them in a tough spot again. Uh, they don't have any confidence in their in the third goaltenders in the organization. Uh, Andre Vasilevsky played every game uh, while Bishop was out, including a back to back where he faced forty plus shots in both games and, and got hammered. And uh, you know, the coaching staff didn't really seem interested in, in pulling him from any of those games. Uh, just kind of left him in there to face that workload and. Uh, they lost some games during during that stretch, so that that hurt. And I think uh, the other one that that people miss a little bit is uh, Braden Point was was great for the first twenty to thirty uh, games of the season or so before he got hurt, and he's been out for 
about four weeks, and that's a four to six week injury. He was honestly, after Stamkos got hurt, probably the third or fourth best forward on the team. Um, mm-hmm. He's a kid that a lot of people didn't even expect to make the team out of camp, but he he pushed guys like Condra and and Corey Corey Conacher back to back to Syracuse because he played so well. So missing him has been has been big. He he wasn't scoring a ton, but he was really driving play for the lines that he was on. And then they've had a slew of just you know guys missing a week or two at a time, and seemed like. You know, for a stretch there, every game uh, they were short three, you know, two or three guys, and the lines were different every night. Um, no continuity in terms of you know who's playing together. Um, just the whole organization it has really struggled. I think we had a game where we had 19 healthy forwards between Tampa and Syracuse combined. <laughs> so, um, just been at times it's been it's been really difficult to deal with. And the, and the other one that I think isn't getting as much attention, and I'm, I'm a little surprised, is is the situation with Ryan Callahan. Uh, you know, he had offseason hip surgery. He's now tried to come back from that injury three times this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, hasn't been able to keep himself in the lineup, and you know, obviously, everyone knows that that's a that's a bad contract at this point. It's one of the worst contracts in the league. Um, nobody expects him to perform like a five point eight million dollar a year player, but he's still one of the twelve best forwards on the team. And, and having him not be able to contribute at all, even you know, on the third or fourth line like he did last year, is has has been a a pretty big hit for the team too. So they've just been. They've just been hammered by injuries at forward, which is you know their their strength area, and they have you know very little depth on the on the defense, and and just you know having a depleted forward core meshed with their you know already questionable defense has been a has been a bad combination. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, Stamkos has been out. You know, he's the obvious one, and he's been out for an extended period of time here. But it's just like I feel like every night I, when I look at their the lineup, they're dressing it. It's it's two or three guys are just constantly missing. But it's always like it seems like it's different guys. And I think that when I've pulled up sort of who's appeared for them this year, I, I think like thirty one or thirty two different players have, have dressed for them. And, I, and that's it seems like a crazy number. There's this early in the season, I feel like there's been. You know, they've just been shuttling guys to and from Syracuse, and I think that there's probably been a bit too much uh, Joel, Joel Verman and, and Luke Witkowski involved in the entire operation, and it's kind of tough when you're, when you're missing all these key pieces to try and patch it together for extended stretches, and that's clearly hurt. So I had, I had, I had basically had three things in terms of stuff that I've noticed with them that is really alarming. So the injuries are one. The goaltending, as you mentioned, is, is a big problem. I mean, they were... Um, ninth in save percentage last year. They're down at 25th this year. And personally, I find I'm annoyed by it a little bit just because I was someone who was very skeptical of Ben Bishop for, for a long time. I, I thought that, you know, everyone talks about sort of his, his puck handling abilities in that. And, and then that's totally fine. But I thought that, you know, him just basically being a big body was one of the only things he really did well. I didn't particularly see very many noticeable skills in terms of actually stopping the puck from him other than just kind of getting in the way of it. But, Listen, he kept posting above average numbers for long enough for for year after year that I finally bought in. And when I finally do, all of a sudden his performance just craters, and then he gets injured. And Vasilevsky, who I have been kind of just saying that should be the starter for this team for for a while now, uh, finally gets a, kind of his chance to, to shine, and he really struggled with it. And basically. They're just, you know, they're not scoring enough on the other end to make up for the suspect goaltending they're getting, and that's just kind of done them in. There's basically just it's, it's kind of as simple as that, I think. Yeah, it's it's been a huge factor. So last year, um, th- they had, from a roster construction standpoint, a similar challenge with um, they essentially have a, a all world top defensive pairing with Hedman and Strawman. Um, it doesn't get much better than that and then not much after that and so 
they really committed to a style of play last year where the forwards were constantly in support defensively. They sacrificed a little bit of their offensive potential. They, they played at a little bit of a slower pace um, to try to support the defensive effort. And, and it, it worked out really well for them. Uh, Bishop had a, a career year. He probably won't have a year like that uh, again. Uh, I think if you... I'm, I don't consider myself an expert in, in, in goalie analysis, so I always look to the to the smart goalie people for that stuff. And, mm-hmm. and they most would say that he's, you know, a league average or maybe a little bit above average. And so when he has a Vezina caliber year like that, you, you have to kind of know that that's, that's an outlier for him. Um, I think this year is probably an outlier a little bit on the low end. Uh, for him, I think he's probably pay- playing a little bit below his his true talent level. Okay. Um, but that that style that they committed to last year um, really relied heavily on getting excellent goaltending, and that hasn't been the case this year. It's it's been bad. Uh, and then the the coaching staff um, came into the year with a a pretty clear plan of you know how they were going to balance the workload between Bishop and Vasilevsky. Uh, Vasilevsky. Uh, struggled a little bit early in the year and they kind of abandoned that and they went to sort of riding the hot hand kind of mentality and that that generally doesn't work um, for goalies usually they they like to have a set schedule and and be able to prepare and uh, understand when they're going to be called upon uh, and then you know the, you know like I mentioned they did the injury to Bishop and like you said Vasilevsky you know got his chance and it just didn't just didn't work out for him um, you know he he didn't play terribly. He had some some really horrible luck. There were some bizarre goals. Uh, there, there was a game in Nashville that I think they lost 6-3 or 6-2 where it, it, the Lightning were just far outplaying uh, the Predators and it just seemed like the, the weirdest stuff was happening and the puck was ending up in the back of the net and you could just see the kind of looks on everybody's faces on the team like what are we, what is going on this year but um, so it's been a little bit of a mix of, of bad luck and also bad play um, and they, they have they don't have uh, with Stamkos out and the constant injuries of forward and the sort of change in style uh, of play that they, they switched to last year. They just don't have the offensive firepower to, to overcome that many mistakes yeah, uh, from the goaltending. And I think that, you know, so far we've alluded to a lot of kind of bad luck, whether it's with you know, performance or with injuries. But whenever you underperform like this, it's probably some of your own doing and i think this is a good transition point to discussing this team's blue line um this is this is the big elephant in the room with the tampa bay lightning in, in my opinion i think it's something that it's kind of a theory i've been cultivating for a few years now but this year it's really bubbled to the surface and i think that it's something that some combination of Iserman, brisois and john cooper it's 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 tough to know sort of who's pushing and who's pulling and and, and who's responsible for some of these personnel decisions uh specifically without actually being in the room so let's just kind of lump all three of them together but i think that they really seem to have a blind spot when it comes to uh, evaluating defensemen yeah I, I think that's fair i think the league struggles a ton uh, as a whole with this um, and i think the lightning are, are no different from that i think it's uh, particularly noticeable for them because the because they've been so smart uh, with the way that they've drafted forwards and they've been so willing to go after smaller uh, skilled guys who are undervalued um, and they've they've found a ton of value in late round picks um, and and things like that so th- their inability to find those guys on defense I think is it, it stands out um, but I, I think something that that really hurt them that maybe also hasn't been talked about as much is is um you know they they took a big gamble on on anthony d'angelo uh and it just did it just did not work out you know he was supposed to be that second pairing you know right-handed guy who who would have come up this year 
uh, and been a contributor for this team. And he was, he was really the only guy in the pipeline uh, that was ready to come in and fill that role. And when, you know, they, they took a gamble that he would, that he would grow and he would mature and he would become, you know, a, a, a professional that you could have be, be part of an organization. And it got to a point, I guess, last spring uh, where they just felt like that wasn't feasible anymore. And they, and they moved him uh, for a second round pick and, you know, that that kind of set the whole process back because they really only had two viable guys in in the pipeline in, in him and, and Slater Cuckoo. And, you know, we can get into Cuckoo a little bit later, but he hasn't progressed the way that you would want this year. And, and the team hasn't really given him uh, a clear opportunity to do that. Uh, and so I think that's that's just part of an overall problem. I mean, I think, you know, trading for Jason Garrison was was an interesting you know, decision. Um, you know, they, they were pretty desperate at the time, so like I can kind of understand that. But that's another guy making four point six million dollars for another couple of years, who's not, uh, you know, contributing at that level. And then, you know, they're they're continued, you know, sort of being enamored with Andre Schuster, who's a, you know, a six eight righty. Um, and I just, I who doesn't, you know, bring a lot to the table, honestly. And and they've got a guy in Nikita Nesterov who's you know a totally different style defend, defender who has almost identical impact to Schuster and has actually far outplayed Schuster this year but you know if you look at their their career paths they're they're, they're pretty similar and for some reason Schuster's in the lineup every night and, and Nesterov is the seventh guy and playing forward sometimes and um, they just they, they don't seem to have a an ability to to bring these guys along the way that that you would like and um, you know they're some of the the moves that they've made Free agent wise, I mean, the, the Matt Carl contract ended up being pretty bad for them. Um, I think a lot of people had issues with the Braden Coburn extension. Um, mm-hmm. He's he's been he's been good this year. I, I can't lump him in with everybody else. He's been solid as a second pairing guy. Uh, doesn't mean that that was a good trade or that that was a good contract. Uh, but he's doing he's doing his job this year. So I can't I can't really knock that too much. We'll see how that looks in, in a year or two. And you definitely can't justify trading uh, Radko Gudis and a couple picks for him. Uh, but he hasn't been as much of an issue as sort of the the four guys after him where you know you've got Schuster and Garrison who are playing every night and are, are not performing well and are, are being treated like a second pairing and not only treated like a second pairing but getting buried in terms of defensive zone starts at one point they had uh, one of the highest defensive zone start percentages of any defensive pairings in the league and they were one of the worst in terms of expected goal share and you know that that's the kind of stuff where you where you say you know you have to recognize that these guys are struggling and you have to put them in a situation to to succeed you can't you can't take a pairing that's obviously struggling and just bury them in terms of usage um so that that's the kind of stuff you you would like to see change from an evaluation perspective is you know identifying who's actually playing well who's who's contributing to the team and then the, the ones that are struggling try to you know help them out a little bit well i mean you've written about this yourself recently and i recommend people checking it out but you know, you basically called into question what they were doing with their blue line because even if Slater Cuckoo hasn't necessarily been on that upward trajectory or developed the way you would have hoped up until this point, I mean, it's still pretty clear that he was a big part of their second best pairing along with Braden Coburn, as you mentioned, and, and they just sent him down to the AHL without any real explanation other than that he needed to keep developing there and, and working on his game. And, you know, the extremely savvy Anton Strawman signing a few summers ago kind of flies in the face of this theory. But I mean, all these moves that you mentioned, it just seems like I'd love to know what they are looking for and what they're prioritizing with their defensemen. Because as you mentioned with a guy like Nikita Nestro, I just think it's, you know, compl- there's no argument to make that he's not one of their six best defensemen right now, that he should be in the lineup every single night. I mean, it's just like the, the, the Garrison Schuster stare. 
the Garrison Schuster pairing, um, as I've talked with you off the air about in the, in the past, it's, it's really, I just don't know how much more I can take of it as just a, an observer. It's like, it's one of these things where they remind me of the Willie Mitchell, Eric Branson pairing last year before Florida finally put the, that, those two out of their misery. But it's like, they're just abysmal to watch. I mean, it's one of these things where whenever they're on the ice, absolutely nothing seems to happen. They can't get out of their own way. They can't move the puck. They constantly just dump it sort of without any purpose out of their own zone. And it winds up coming back in the other end. And at least with a guy like Garrison, I feel like he sort of knows his strengths and limitations as a player. And he's understanding that, you know, he lacks the foot speed to keep up with the guys that try to go wide on him when they're attacking. So he actually does a pretty good job of combating that with, I think, some fine kind of stick work and reach when he's attacking oncoming puck carriers. But with a guy like Schuster, I just don't understand what he's supposed to be good at or what he brings to the table. You mentioned he's a righty and he's six seven or six eight, which is cool, I guess. But I mean, he can't really skate. He can't move the puck. He's not physical around the net. He doesn't protect his own blue line when guys are trying to carry it in against them. So... I mean, if I'm trying to put together a rec basketball team, I'll make sure to give him a call so he can grab some rebounds for us. But beyond that, I mean, I, I don't see how he contributes to a to an NHL team at this point. So I, I just it's stuff like that where for, I think it is especially glaring. I mean, I think most teams, as as you pointed out, struggle with evaluating defensemen, and we still don't have great metrics to kind of quantify their play because sometimes the best defensive players are the ones we don't even that don't even register. It's kind of just subtle little positional stuff that prevents anything from even developing in the first place. But it's pretty clear that whatever they're using to make these decisions on the on the blue line isn't working, and it's been going on for a few years now, and it's just jarring compared to how well they've evaluated for. I think I think that's the ultimate thing. It's just such a big discrepancy between the two. Yeah, it's 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 really strange. Um, and I I think the uh, you know you you watch them defensively and and uh, you know I don't want to spend a whole podcast hammering Andre Schuster, but uh, <laughs> like you you watch them try to get the puck out of their zone and and it's just you know it's brutal at times. And and when it was when it was worst, I think is and during the Eastern Conference Final last year. I mean, there there were times where the Penguins just kept the puck for you know thirty forty five seconds in the offensive zone and it just just nonstop and and they they just could not they just could not recover the puck and make two or three passes to get it to get through the neutral zone with, with possession and um you know in during that series one of the interesting things is that's kind of when Slater Cuckoo kind of came onto the scene a little bit and started to get a little bit of attention and people got to see him play nationally. And, you know, in all honesty, the, the lightning looked like they had three defenders who belonged on the ice in that series. And, mm-hmm. you know, I had him in Strawman and the other one was Slater Cuckoo. Um, he was the only guy who looked like he could keep up with what the penguins were doing. He was the only guy who looked like he could get the puck and, and get it out, get it out and get it in, get it through the neutral zone with it. And he was the only guy who looked like he can make a pass to a forward, um, you know, against a really intense, really good four check by the team that went on to win the cup, you know? Um, but I just think it's telling that they, they haven't, uh, they haven't sort of identified that and they haven't given him really a chance this year. I mean, they, they started him in the, in the AHL, um, you know he's he's there again uh he and he and Coburn have been the second best pairing on the team uh, I think Coburn is is driving that everybody on the team has been better when they play with Coburn Garrison's better when he plays with Coburn Schuster's better when he plays with Coburn Nestor's better when he plays with Coburn um Coburn's been the best of the of the guys after that that top pair but 
out of all those options, uh, Coburn and Cuckoo have been the best. And, you know, if, even if you're just thinking about the future of the organization, I mean, he needs to be in the NHL getting NHL minutes and um, understanding the mistakes that he makes and, and learning from them. Uh, you know, this, this is a problem we have league-wide where, you know, these, these teams are so uh, they're so risk-averse and they're, they're so unwilling to accept uh, mistakes that defenders make um, either in their own zone or, you know, on an aggressive pinch that, you know, gives up a rush the other way and you know they, they just can't seem to get their heads around um you know letting these guys make these mistakes at age 21 22 um so that they can learn from them get them out of the way and, and be ready to go by the time they're 23 24 when you keep burying them in the ahl like this they they just uh they don't get the opportunity to, to develop the way they should and you're just kind of stunning uh, the whole process. So instead of this being a full year of, of Slater Cuckoo developing in the NHL and what would have been a better year than this, which is we're starting to progress towards this maybe being a wasted year. Um, you know, if, if, if this year kind of becomes a wasted year and he doesn't progress, I mean, that's a pretty, that, that, that's a pretty bad outcome for them. So I'm just, I'm confused at what the, what the direction is between the front office and the coaching staff. You know, they, they have this asset, they need to develop it. They're, they're desperate for somebody to step up and take a role on the second pairing. And they, they, you know, aren't giving them the chance to do that. Right. And I think that, you know, with the forward group and the personnel they have up front, they're suited to play a, a game at, at a higher pace where they have defenders, they can get them the puck quickly and they can transition and, and wreak havoc that way. And I don't, you know, you could look exactly at that team they played in the Eastern conference last year in the final where, the Penguins similarly were really struggling early in the year. And then, you know, they brought in date Trevor Daly, they brought in Justin Schultz. They, 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 they tinkered with their blue line and all of a sudden they could actually get the puck to their forwards and make stuff happen. And it just, we just saw the performance just jump through the roof for that entire team. And I, I think it's, it, could very well be sort of as simple as that. Like if they just sort of reverse their course in terms of what they were looking for and how they were evaluating defensemen and what they were prioritizing, if they kind of pivoted on the fly here, it could make a big difference, whether it's, you know, this year, if it's lost, whatever, maybe in the future. But I think it's something that is important. But I mean, that's a good sort of pivot to a discussion about Cooper and Iserman, who... You know, I think most people in the hockey industry are, are very high on the job they've done since to, since coming to Tampa Bay, and a lot of it is well-deserved. I think they're near the top of the list whenever anyone's ranking or talking about the top coaches and top GMs, and, you know, they both seem progressive. They both seem willing to try stuff. I think that, like you mentioned, they've given – they've been one of the teams most notoriously giving some of these uh, skilled, undersized guys up front a chance in the NHL or a chance in the – and it brought them into their system in the AHL and given them a chance to get jobs with other teams. Teams and you know that's great, but there are also a lot of red flags in terms of some of the player development we've seen from them with the guys they've drafted, uh, some of the contracts they've signed. You mentioned Callahan and Coburn, and you know they had to buy out Carl just because it became such an albatross. Like, I think where are you at with them in terms of do you think that all the credit they get is deserved, or do you think that they're sort of you know still living off of what they did a couple a few years ago where they just hit a bunch of home runs and it the past year or two have been kind of raising a bit more questions or a bit more alarms so i'm i'm a little more bullish on on steve eisenman than i am on john cooper at this point um i think you know i, I like the majority of of what eisenman's done um they've been pretty forward thinking in terms of embracing analytics from i mean i don't have any kind of inside information on the team but just all the stuff that's publicly available um you know they have they have a team working full-time on that um which which is a good sign organizationally um i think they've they've made some smart moves i think their drafting uh has been good so so i think their scouting is good um i think they've signed 
some good contracts. You, you mentioned the Strawman contract. I think, um, you know, Iserman, you know, could debate how, how we got to the Druin situation, but he, hand, <laughs> he handled it the right way once it was there. Yeah. Um, I think he did well with Hedman and, and Stamkos in the offseason. I know some some people probably don't like the Stamkos contract. Um, maybe they don't think that a guy who doesn't really drive playing is, is just, you know, purely a goal scorer, deserves that that kind of that kind of money. I, I would tend to disagree. I think goals are the most important thing, and if you have a guy who scores like that, um, you put him next to somebody like Nikita Kucherov, and I think you, you get every... You, you get your money's worth on that deal, mm-hmm. um, so I'm 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 pretty happy with with Iserman. Um, my my concerns are really with Cooper and and my concerns are really you you mentioned it as player development. Um, you know I think everybody kind of got uh, blinded when the that triplets line came up the year they went to the cup and it was like you know they got these three guys and they they brought them up from the AHL together and you know it's Tyler Johnson and Andre Pilat and Nikita Kucherov and um, you know this is the best line in the in the league right now and they're they're tearing up the playoffs and Tyler Johnson is shooting you know 17% or whatever, whatever he's shooting right. and um I think at that point I think it over the last 2 years we've kind of realized how much of that line was Nikita Kucherov um I think sometimes people still don't realize how good he is, mm-hmm. that he's absolutely one of the best wings in the league and that he drives play with any two guys. Um, and I think he was really responsible for a lot of that line success. And that line was a lot of the reason that people were, were really bullish on Cooper as a coach that he, you know, developed these guys in the AHL and brought them up with them. And they were going to a cup right away. Um, if you look at uh, Johnson and Plot's numbers away from Kucherov, they're not, they're not great. They're both sub sub 50% um, shot share and expected goal share players away from him um, in their careers. So, you know, I, I think, and, and then you look at um, all the stuff that's happened with Drew and Drew and still, um, he he goes through stretches, but he he still hasn't reached that kind of top of his potential. He's getting there, mm-hmm. you know. Over the last couple months, I think we've we've started to see that sort of top end of his of his talent level. And I think part of that is because they've been forced to due to injuries uh, to kind of give him more opportunities. So you know, I, I still don't love for such a high pick with so much talent. Um, you know, kind of how he's come along, and then you look at the stuff that's happened with. With Cuckoo this year, and the, and the like, I mean, you know, I talked about the the choice, the constant choice of, of Schuster over Nestrov, which doesn't make sense to me. Um, not that Nestrov, I think, is is great, but he's clearly deserves a, a chance to play uh, and and show what he can do. He's also younger than Schuster, so um, that that's really where my my issue is with Cooper. And then the other thing with Cooper is, you know, they talk about you know Rick Bonus is is the associate head coach and he handles all the defense and the penalty kill um and then previously you know they talked about Cooper you know was was in charge of the power play which was terrible uh, so they had to hire Todd Richards to come in around the power play and at some point you start to think like well what <laughs> what on this what on this team is 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 Cooper's thing at this mm-hmm. point uh, the power play is the best thing about the team this year and and Todd Richards is running that um everything else has been you know, systems-wise, has been pretty questionable. I think part of their issue with their breakouts is that they haven't changed anything since he since he started. And I think teams have been watching them for two years and watching them make two deep playoff runs, and they, they know they kind of know what's coming. Um, so yeah, I, I I I'm still pretty happy with Iserman. I think every team hands out um, bad deals. I would hope they would learn from some of the stuff they've done. Like let's not, you know, give 
four, $5 million to defenders who are going past age, you know, 31, 32 anymore. Let's not give big contracts to forwards, you know, who play a, a physical game and have, have taken a ton of punishment over their careers. Hopefully they can, they can learn from those things, but all teams make those mistakes. I'm, I'm okay with the direction of their front office. I'm a little, little concerned this year with the, the lack of progression of the, of the younger players and the younger talented players. Yeah, I mean, well, let's spin it forward and look ahead because I think that it's going to be very fascinating to see how they decide to approach the next six weeks here and then the summer because, you know, let's just say that they don't make some sort of run here and they miss the playoffs. Um, I don't necessarily think that that would be the worst thing in the world that you mentioned. They've played a ton of hockey the past few years and I still think that, you know, getting a high pick, getting a good, good prospect out of the draft and then, you know, maybe making a few changes on the margins here or there in, in the summer and free agency and trades and then coming back next year, I would once again think that they should be a playoff team uh, con- contending for the number one spot in the Atlantic, I would still be very high on them. And I think they'd resume their position as a contender. So I don't think it's one of these things where you need to all of a sudden overreact and make some sort of uh, grand changes. But I, I, when, you know, when teams kind of have a year like this, uh, for us from the outside, it's very easy to kind of say, you know, we just remain calm and kind of stay the course. But generally, we do see some sort of changes, whether they're dramatic ones personnel-wise or whether, you know, the coach gets fired or something happens. Um, something generally tends to change. You think that they'd be comfortable uh, kind of bringing back most of these same players in the same sort of foundation next year? Or do you think that if it really just kind of goes off the tracks here, that there's going to be some sort of noticeable changes in, in the in the months to come? So I'm I'm really interested even even before we get to the summer I'm really interested to see how they approach the next month or so um, you know assuming that they're in a similar position I think you know you, you asked about evaluating the front office I think this is a really obvious point to evaluate the front office um, you know it's normal in an organization especially in organizations that's been winning the past couple of years to say you know we're only five or six points out you know if we if we make a run. You know, we got one of the best players in the league coming back in March. Um, you know, all we have to do is make the playoffs and we're a threat. Um, I think that would be a mistake. Uh, you know, worst case scenario, they trade assets to try to add players to make a run here. I think that would be a really bad sign for the front office's ability to sort of evaluate where they are. I'd be really concerned if, if they did that. Um, you know, I've heard that there, there was a rumor, and I don't know, uh, you know, how accurate some of the stuff that goes around nationally is. I don't know how well anybody really has a read on what's going on in the in the Lightning front office. They're pretty good about keeping things under wraps. But there was a rumor last week about the team shopping Nesterov. Um, you know, if if that's true, if they're if they're trying to, you know, flip, you know, a defender to to get something else to try, like that that kind of stuff wouldn't make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if they're trying to move pieces to try to fix it for a run this year. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they just stand pad and say, you know, we're if we make a run, we make a run. If we don't, um, you know, we'll reevaluate in the offseason. What I would really like them to do, um, they have two good you know, quality expiring assets and Ben Bishop and Brian Boyle. Um, Brian Boyle is having a career year. Teams love guys like that, you know, uh, gritty guys with a little bit of skill who can score, who are depth forwards, who have experience, playoff experience, who can win. Um, they can get something for him. Every team needs goaltending. I would love to see them try to move those guys to try to pick up, you know, a couple extra picks or a couple or, you know, prospects or whatever assets they can, they can compile together. They've got salary that they desperately need to dump coming up. They've got, you know, several big restricted free agents. 
um, that they need to deal with this summer that they need to clear space for. Um, so, you know, one of Philpola or Garrison probably needs to go. If they could find a way to do that uh, at the deadline, I would I would love to see them start trying to position themselves well um, and, and kind of restock, use this opportunity to, to restock um, their draft picks when, when, they, when they really kind of built all this talent into the organization. They did this. They, they had a big fire sale at the deadline. They compiled a bunch of second and third round picks. They had extra picks every year for a while. I'd, I'd like to see them do that again, use this opportunity to do that. I think that's one of the keys for, for evaluating any organization is um, how well do you identify the opportunities that are presented to you? And, and they didn't meet their expectations this year. They, they didn't meet the goals that they had set. So how quickly can they pivot and sort of adjust and, uh, and come up with, with the best movement going forward. So, you know, I would like to see them start trying to position themselves and maybe head to the draft um, with a few extra picks and a few extra assets. And, you know, who knows if, if somebody slides in the first round, maybe, and they're already in a decent spot, maybe they can move up and really get a difference making player. Um, so that's the way that I would be starting to think. I mean, if they win, you know, eight or 10 in a row, then they're right back in and, and that changes everything. But if it, if it continues on this pace, that's, that's the way I would like to think in terms of major changes. I, I don't, I don't expect, I mean, maybe if they really fall off a cliff the rest of the year, they might, they might make a coaching change. Um, but I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even expect that. I mean, maybe if they feel really strongly about Todd Richards, you know, that they, they love what he's done, um, as, as an assistant coach, or, um, if, if they love what their new, uh, AHL coach, um, Benoit Brule, if, if they like the, the way he's been coaching the team this year, they're, they're looking like they're going to make a playoff run and stuff. So there, there might be an option there, but I don't, I wouldn't expect to see any, you know, major trades. Um, and I wouldn't even really expect a coaching change unless things go really bad for the rest of the year. Yeah. I think the, the Philpula move is, is fascinating to me because he has only one year left and I think 5 million as a cap hit. And, and, you know, he's having a, a very productive season based on points. And I feel like, you know, he is still a good playmaker and he can get guys the puck and, and you could, if you're another playoff team, you kind of talk yourself into him being a nice little piece. You could add as a as kind of secondary scoring and, and on, and on a second unit power play or something like that. But for the lightning, like just the fact that if they got rid of him, they wouldn't have to automatically protect him in the expansion draft because of his contract status. I think that that would be a, a huge luxury where they could kind of use that spot more wisely on it to keep a younger, cheaper, more serviceable guy instead. And, Beyond that, I mean, the other moves you mentioned make a lot of sense. I think that, you know, Bishop, assuming they can get anything for him, seems like kind of a no-brainer considering that it seems like, you know, it's going to be Vasilevsky's job next year and whether Goodlevskis is the backup or whether they bring in a more proven kind of guy uh, on the cheap. It looks like that's the direction they're headed. So pretty much anything you can get for Bishop at this point seems smart, even if you're still kind of in a little bit of a playoff race. Like, I don't, I don't think that, you know, moves like this, uh, if, even if they start playing a bit better, it shouldn't necessarily kind of scare you off from, from doing some of this stuff because I don't think that trading Ben Bishop for picks or something like that is all of a sudden going to completely just crash all of their chances of making some sort of a, a last ditch playoff run this year. Like, I think they'll be perfectly fine regardless because, uh, you know, both of us are very high on Vasilevsky, regardless of how much he struggled this year. I still think that, you know, it'd be smart to give him more and more starts the year goes along, goes along to see that what he's capable of and whether he can handle a uh, heavier workload next season. So kind of stuff like that. You're right. I think that for a savvy organization, you're kind of looking ahead and you're trying to get ahead of the curve and trying to make anticipate moves before you actually need to make them while you still have some leverage rather than waiting till the draft or waiting till free agency. And then all of a sudden panicking and having to take 50 cents on a dollar or completely losing guys just because you've kind of lost all that leverage because you waited too long. 
Yeah, and I think that's that's exactly right. I think the the challenge with that is if you if you move guys like that who are like fixtures um, from a leadership position and things like that, it kind of signals to the team what you think is happening. Mm-hmm. You know, and I I think there's I mean we we have to remember that they're they're human beings in there. Right. You know, if if you trade guys like that, the team is going to kind of see the writing on the wall, and so I'm sure that would have an impact, and they would you know everybody would have to kind of be on the same page there. But I, I think the the other thing that I didn't mention um, is that. You know, trade getting moving Philpola or or Garrison is not like a you know be nice to do. It's that they have to do it, yeah. or they're going <laughs> to lose one of their restricted free agents this summer. They cannot sign everybody that that they have to sign. Plus the the three big ones they have are are Druin, uh, Palat, and Tyler Johnson. Yep. Um, and then plus you know all the other little you know one to two million dollar contracts they need to get done. There's no way they're getting all that done with the money they have on the books right now. So if if they get to a place where they realistically don't think they're moving any of those pieces. Then all of a sudden it becomes which one of those guys. And then, you know, do you start talking about, do you see if anybody, you know, would give, you know, a major asset for somebody like Tyler Johnson to get a, to get a boost for the rest of the year. And so I think there's a lot of different things um, in play. I think that kind of stuff will be more likely to happen in the, in the summer. But, you know, if you see the writing on the wall and sometimes if you, if you strike early, if you, if you make the right call at the right time and somebody's desperate, you know, you never know. So um, I, I would be exploring all those avenues right now and just trying to make sure I understand all the different scenarios and what are all the possible outcomes and, and what's the, what's the one that's most likely to put us in a succeed, uh, position to succeed next year. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, we'll, we'll see how the second half of the season goes for them. I mean, you know, they're technically only five points out of a wild card spot right now as, as we're recording this, but they'd also have to leapfrog a bunch of teams to do so. And they haven't necessarily shown um, any sort of signs or reasons to believe that, you know, they've got some magical long winning streak in them at this point. I mean, they still do have a lot of talent and, you know, they, they conceivably could. I mean, we've seen crazier things happen this season in the NHL, but it seems like, uh, you know, they should start at least kind of thinking about what their roster is going to look like next year and the years to come. And I think that we've kind of bummed out people enough already with sort of uh, some of this, uh, some of this talk about lightning. So, I mean, let's end on some positives. Uh, I think that watching Jonathan Drouin this year has been remarkably fun. I mean, as you mentioned, he still hasn't necessarily, um, you know, become that sort of an impact player on every, on an every single game basis, but He's been a highlight machine, and and especially lately, I mean, he's he's kind of been everything that we thought and dreamed he could be. Where he's trying all this kind of creative, fun stuff with the puck. Uh, the other night in Anaheim, he was in a, kind of deep in his own zone, and he just sent this stress stretch pass in midair across two zones, and it landed perfectly on Kucherov's stick, and sort of stuff like that. Where most guys, you know, either aren't capable of it physically or would never even dream of it. They just don't possess that type of creativity. So it's 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 been fun to watch him. He looks like he's going to be an amazing player. And obviously Kucherov, as you mentioned, is blossoming into a legitimate number one option where he's reaching that sort of upper echelon star status where regardless of who he plays with, I feel pretty confident that he's going to thrive and succeed and bring them along for the ride. And there's very few guys like that in the league. So guys like that and Hedman and, you know, there, there, there's still the pieces here where if they do some of these moves, we, 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 we laid out um, whether it's now or in the summer and kind of surround them and maybe freshen things up a little bit and, and, and kind of think outside the box a little bit and adjust their defense all of a sudden next year, I have no issue believing that they're going to kind of resume their contender status that they've had in the past few years. 
Yeah, and I don't want to sound you know overly negative. And as a fan, nothing would make me happier than for them to go on a huge winning streak and maybe be rooting for a team in the playoffs again. Uh, but I, I think as a sort of like you know fan who approaches the game with a you know an analytical mindset, I, I want them to position themselves best for the future. And and the thing for me is, you know. We talked about this team having a, having a cup window, and that that window's not closed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they're still totally capable of making deep playoff runs and and competing for championships. So I think that's why it's so vital that they make the right decisions, that they navigate you know the rest of this year properly, that they don't do anything you know hasty that's going to really affect them long term. That they position themselves properly for the um, for the expansion draft. That they that they do all the things they need to do to get these restricted free agents signed. So um, yeah, I mean, and and just there's a there's a ton of fun stuff to watch on this team watching Jonathan Druin and Nikita Kucherov on the ice at the same time is is unreal sometimes when when they put those two guys on the on the first power play unit and they work opposite sides of the ice um it is unfair the amount of times that that they just sort of uh, manipulate space on the defense create these passing lanes to be able to go you know royal road back and forth I mean it's just it's it's just unreal and you know I as long as everything goes goes well, that those two guys should be able to be locked up and, and play together for a while. And um, when Stamkos comes back, if we ever get that, you know, Stamkos in the middle with, with Kucherov on the right and Druin on the left, um, I mean, that's that's a nightmare line for, for defenses to try to deal with. So, you know, hopefully we get to see all that stuff reach its potential because it, it would be a ton of fun. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that cup window. It definitely still is open, but I think it is a good reminder for, for, for fans out there that, you know, I've, I've been talking about this for the past few years. It's like, you know, they had this young team and the first year they lost in the Stanley Cup final to the Chicago Blackhawks. And a lot of people were like, oh, there's nothing I had to, you know, hang your head about that it's a young team. They'll be back. And, you know, last year they came very close again, but it just, this year is sort of a reminder that, you know, sports are weird. Unpredictable things happen. And, you know, just because you have a good team right now that, that looks young and looks poor to be good for the next however many years to come like you if you have a chance to go for it and win it all you sort of have to do it because you never know what's going to happen in the future so it's just a, a good little reminder for that but you know what i uh I, I still like this team and i still like watching them hopefully i won't have to watch that garrison schuster pairing much longer because uh they sort of suck the life out of me a little bit but otherwise a lot of the other players are, are, are as dynamic as there are in the league yeah to- totally agree um you know, and, and I've had the same thought, you know, about, you know, seizing the, the chance when you have it. Um, and I was one of those people saying this team is young. This is the first year. This, this year was was, um, you know, kind of icing on the cake. You know, the, the real years where they should be competing are coming up in the future. And you just never know. And I think actually a, a team that that's an interesting, uh, you know, kind of idea for is the Leafs mm-hmm. um, as they have all this, you know, sort of explosion of young talent. Um, that you know, and and there's been a lot of talk in that fan base about you know that you know they're still a year or two away. And um, listen, if you if you if you're good enough to make a run this year, make a run this year, <laughs> you know. And if that means trading for a piece of the deadline to to try to bolster yourself so that you're ready to go, uh, then I, you know I, I don't have any problem with with teams doing that when when your when your window's open and you have a chance, you, you know you you go for it then and and um, you know you don't mortgage your future to do it, but right. you know don't don't let those opportunities pass by. Absolutely. No, I, I completely co-signed that. Um, Alan, where can, uh, where can people find you online and check out your work? So I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, shout out a couple places here. I know everybody tries to be super humble. I'm, I'm going to do the opposite <laughs> and take like a minute here to shout, shout go, out a couple places. I write at, uh, I, I write at hockey graphs. I think most people know hockey graphs. That's where, um, some of my more numbers, heavy stuff 
uh, goes up. I'm, I'm honestly, I'm just happy they let me write there. Everybody there is so much smarter than me. Um, so I just feel lucky to to get the right there with that team. I, I do some stuff at NHL Numbers, which is part of the Nation Network, which which is great. Um, the team there lets me write. Um, but the thing I, I really want to push is I, I see a lot of stuff on on Twitter and, and online about you know what's going on with the Lightning. Where can we find out what's going on? Uh, come to Raw Charge and, and check us out. We we have a ton of content there. I, I write there, you know, at least once a week. Um, we have a lot of other good writers who write way more often than me and and have a lot of uh, you know meaningful contributions to offer. So if you're not sure what's going on with the team, um, I mean, you can always follow the beat writers and kind of get you know the the service level stuff that's going on there. But but come check out come check out Raw Charge to see where what's uh, you know really going on under the surface and how the fans are feeling and you know where we're where we sort of see the team going over the, over the next year or so. Absolutely, and I think that everyone listening right now if, assuming they are on twitter i mean i feel like everyone's on twitter who's not um should go and follow you at, at loser points I, I noticed you're under a thousand followers and i think we need to uh remedy that hopefully the the, the hockey pdo cast bump back is an actual thing and we can uh, finally get you over there because i uh, you know you, you always tweet out quality content and uh i highly recommend following you Awesome, man. I, yeah, I appreciate it. I think I've got to be one of the lowest follower counts who's ever been on the show. So we'll, <laughs> we'll get a real feel for the bump after this. Absolutely. All right, man. Let's, uh, let's, let's check back in closer to the deadline. And especially if the lightning either start making some moves or, or make a run or completely fall out of the race. I'm, I'm sure they'll be one of the teams that a lot of people will be watching very closely come the trade deadline. Absolutely. Sounds good, man. Okay, talk soon. Thanks. The Hockey PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash